Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Kim Carter. Kim has 20 plus years of experience providing software engineering teams with the confidence needed to produce software with the right level of security. He loves designing and creating robust software and networks, breaking software and networks, then fixing them and helping organizations increase productivity. Welcome, Kim. Oh, yeah. So uh, before we jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself? You know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Yeah, so um, probably about, well, yeah, it was in um, the year 2000. Uh, I'm a qualified carpenter and um, I was, there was a couple of reasons I decided to start um, thinking about getting into a different field. Um, one of which was uh, my body was giving me trouble, all my joints and stuff. Uh, and I was finding the work wasn't really challenging enough. I'd, I'd, I'd been, I'd done a lot of things, um, like own my own business, um, been site foreman on all, on housing, um, architectural housing, commercial, uh, building and, um, many different projects for, uh, 10 plus years and it just wasn't really, um, challenging enough. So I decided to, um, I go back to school and I got a diploma in uh, business programming. Um, programming was just um, the basically I was looking for the most challenging thing I could possibly think of, and programming uh, for me at that stage in my life was the most challenging thing. Um, I was I was pretty much compu- uh, computer illiterate, uh, so yeah, it was a huge challenge for me. Um, and then basically coming out of that uh, and got a job testing at a um, at a mobile um, applications uh, development company here in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. And and I just kept pestering them to move into development. And I was about six months later, I moved in development. And then sort of, yeah, I progressed through different companies and that sort of thing. And it was about 2010, I started getting a little bit uh, itchy, um, with development alone, wanted sort of more of a challenge. So um, information security seemed like it would be a good challenge. So I sort of dove into that uh, while I was um, doing software engineering as well. And it was about 2013 that I went out on my own um, as a consultant and and basically were doing all of the above, uh, testing uh, software engineering architecture, and a lot of security work as well, and that was that's pretty much led me to uh, kind of to where I am today. Or I, I could go back sort of like four years or five years, and I um, started writing a book series because there wasn't a lot of work on at the time. And then, <laughs> as Murphy's Law has it, um, you start something like that, and then all of a sudden, lots of work comes. And I, and then I had to balance all the um, consulting work with uh, continuing to uh, get a book series out. Uh, part of the book series in the second book uh, was a proof of concept. 
um, around uh, security regression testing uh, using OWASP ZAP. And it was a one-pager, basically. And I I took that proof of concept to uh, different conferences around the world and um, workshops, uh, did lots of talks on it and that sort of thing, um, basically to elicit uh, developer feedback and see whether there would actually be any uh, legs in uh, taking the proof of concept uh, further. And it seems like it seemed like there would be. So that's what I did. And um, I'm four years into the uh, startup journey now. What has that journey of starting up? Seems like you are always constantly trying to pick the the most challenging thing. And I can't imagine, you know, doing a startup being not not high on that list. So what, what's, what's it been like and what, what's the, the startup journey? Yeah, so I, I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for, right? <laughs> But I was, I'm, I'm always keen on challenges. Just didn't realise how much of a challenge it would be, and it has been pretty brutal. Uh, balancing uh, consulting work and trying to get a um, business running and and build a product uh, on your own is is insanely uh, difficult. Um, it's 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 about uh, probably six months uh, since I did my last bit of uh, paying consulting. Um, and since then, it's been uh, slightly easier in in terms of um, fitting what I need to fit into the day, but still uh, kind of mentally and emotionally uh, are pretty traumatic. Um, I've got a I've got an amazing wife that's really supportive. She's working, and um, and 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 she's helping uh, basically uh, me to do uh, purple team to build purple team. Um, we've got some paying customers on now as well, uh, which is uh, not really helping in the sense of um, monetary-wise. It's more sort of uh, just really uh, starting to mature the product, and um, and and we're realizing the things that um, we didn't realize kind of before. It became a real thing and was being used by uh, real organisations. So a lot of um, yeah, a lot of new uh, features and uh, functionality are starting to be added uh, so that the tool actually works and uh, uh, satisfies uh, our customers' requirements. So so what is Purple Team? I know we, we've had a few security folks on the podcast in recent months and in recent years, and they're always talking about red teams and blue teams and, and purple teams and that type of scenario. Is that similar to what we're talking about here? So what you've got is you've got uh, the blue team is a defending team, the red team is an attacking team, the purple team is a is in my um, a point of view is a team that builds uh, software or something, and and also knows how to attack it. So it's just a mix of the red and the blue. Um, the idea of purple team, the tool itself is is that the tools um, is is specifically targeted for uh, development teams um, are trying to build software, specifically web applications and APIs, uh, with a red teamer in the mix, and that's basically what uh, what the testers in Purple Team do. Uh, they attack uh, the web application or API that the um, that the development team is building. So the idea is that you uh, slot Purple Team into uh, likes of your build pipelines 
and that sort of thing so that it can be uh, continuously uh, security regression testing uh, what you are creating so that developers are, are notified and close to real time of any defects that they're introducing. So Purple Team's got, um, it's got an application tester, it's got a, a TLS tester, and it's about to have a server tester that's, that's on the to-do list. Um, and each of those testers have emissaries. The emissaries are the tool that actually does the work. So, for example, the application tester is an emissary, which is Zap and uh, Selenium. So uh, a Zap uses Selenium so that it can proxy uh, the initial requests um, through it, uh, uh, so that it get so that Zap gets an idea of what your web application or API looks like and builds up its sites tree in order to start to attack your web application or API. And then we've got like the TLS tester, which has an emissary um, test SSL, which again um, basically tests your TLS uh, connections. And the server tester is going to be yeah, much the same, but it's testing. Um, are different types of servers that you may have for um, configuration issues and that sort of thing. So the Purple Team software that you've got, um, uh, you were telling us earlier, there's two different versions. There's a, a local version and a cloud version. And uh, I guess the local version you would run like as a developer while you're developing. Um, would you point the cloud version at like production, uh, does it have a chance of, of uh, like bringing a system down or is it searching for a weakness and then just letting you know about it? So both the local and the cloud uh, go about attacking uh, your application or API the same way. Uh, the main difference is that the local uh, runs locally on a local machine that you have access to. Um, so you've got the CLI um, and probably the back end, in most cases, uh, will run on the same machine. Uh, so you've got the CLI, and then you've got the back end. The back end is a um, is a collection of uh, containers, um, and basically in the cloud, those that back end is in the cloud, whereas the CLI is still run either locally or um, or are within a build pipeline. So. Yeah, so uh, the CLI is sort of like um, so you can put the CLI uh, pretty much wherever you want. It can um, it can run in a build pipeline, a uh, headless, or it can run uh, with a uh, a character user interface as well, a pretty character user interface, so that you can um, get started uh, manually and have a pretty good idea of what's actually happening. Because what happens is uh, the back end sends. Um, sends real-time information of what the testers and emissaries are up to as they're testing to the CLI so that you can actually see that um, in the CLI. If you're running in QE mode, if you're running headless, then it's just going to the logs. It's just going to the CLI log. That's that's the main difference. So the cloud version is running in AWS, whereas the uh, local version is running on a server of your choosing. You would run Purple Team, uh, like say, as part of the smoke test portion of your of your build pipeline, so that before you actually push the latest bits directly to Prod, you would you would be able to to um, do the tests that Purple Team can do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much, I I wouldn't 
recommend running it against uh, 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 production because it's likely to fill uh, your database up with all sorts of rubbish, even if it doesn't break your production system because it's trying to insert all sorts of things all over the place. Well, we, we like to live dangerously. It's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so we're, we're primarily developers here, uh, myself, John, Ash, and Clayton, and maybe not as concerned with security from time to time as, as someone that has devoted their professional career to security issues and, and vulnerabilities and recovery. So what are the things that something like uh, Purple Team looks at or or any of the services out there or what should developers be aware of when they're designing their own systems or, or trying to make a system that is secure enough for today's world? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a, yeah, that's a good point. So, so I'm a developer as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the, uh, so the first uh, 10 to 13 years of my career was uh, mostly software development and it's, it still mostly is because I'm now working on a tool, um, developing it for developers. Um, so, so the idea with Purple Team is that it attacks your web applications and then it um, it delivers back to uh, the end user or the build user we call it an outcomes archive. In the outcomes archive, we've got our results files for each of the testers and we've got reports. Uh, the reports. Uh, tell you uh, basically the types of attacks that was used, uh, uh, where they were used, on what, um, how many occurrences, uh, all sorts of uh, juicy information, um, along with um, advice on how to actually fix those defects and and how to not do them again. So it's 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 very much uh, focused uh, towards the developer. Um, yeah, so, so for example, uh, the Zap emissary has got a plethora of uh, scanners that uh, we uh, leverage. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. I, I can link to that in the show notes if you want. It's basically um, a lot of stuff from the OWASP top 10 uh, plus uh, many others, uh, many other uh, types of um, defects that it's trying to attack. So you've uh, mentioned Zap uh, or the OS Zap um, a couple of times. It, uh, what is what is different and sort of like what does how does this how is this used alongside that or or how does this use that and sort of how can you differentiate the two? Yeah, so so basically the architecture. I'll, I'll kind of walk through the architecture a little bit. So in the back end, right, you've got an orchestrator which takes. Uh, the initial request from the CLI. And the orchestrator um, looks after the different testers. Uh, all these uh, microservices are in um, are Docker containers. So the application scanner or tester, uh, so the application scanner is a tester. So the application scanner, uh, what it does is it spins up a number of uh, stage two container sets um, for the application scanner, that is a container set of uh, one instance of Zap and one instance of Selenium per uh, per test session in the job file that's passed through from the CLI to the orchestrator. So what 
tells the back end um, what you as a build user wants to test is all in the job file. So the CLI sends a job file through to the orchestrator as the initial request to test. In there is your target, uh, your system on the test, and in different test sessions. In those test sessions, they have references to routes and different areas of your application that you may want to test. With APIs, it's a different type of job file. Uh, you pass through the likes of um, API definitions, or you can um, pass through a link to an API definition that, uh, that Zap can get to uh, online in order to know how to uh, security regression test your APIs. So what's happening there is once Zap gets going, it is um, sending information. Hang on, let me uh, just get out. I'll wrap my head around this a bit. So the application scanner, which is uh, one of the testers, talks to uh, a Lambda function in order to spin up N number of uh, stage two containers. Uh, and that N is uh, the number of test sessions in the job file that the CLI has passed through. So once those um, a number of Zap and Selenium uh, peers have been brought up, because yeah, another thing, the reason we bring up N number of them is so that all the uh, instances are isolated. We don't get any um, cross-pollination happening between the um, between the test sessions because that can happen if you're just using like one instance of Zap. So that brings up a set of um, a Zap and Selenium containers. The Selenium containers only are used um, initially in order to uh, help Zap work out uh, what its requests need to look like in order to um, in order to beat up on your application, and then it's basically all down to Zap doing. Uh, mostly, it's active scanning, but that can also be configured. So, what's actually happening is uh, Zap's just actively attacking your Wear application or APIs. Once it's finished, it uh, creates uh, some reports, and the application tester. Uh, modifies those reports and then puts them in a directory that the orchestrator also has access to. The orchestrator then archives all of the testers' reports and then sends them back to the CLI. Uh, Each tester is also responsible for bringing down the stage to containers. So, for example, the the TLS scanner. A TLS scanner is a bit different. The TLS scanner has an embedded uh, emissary. The application scanner is the only one that actually has the external containers uh, with Zap uh, running in it. And the reason for that is that the application scanner needs to get to the Zap API, which is in a separate container. Uh, so they need to be separate for that reason. And the other th- uh, the other reason is that with the Zap container set, uh, there can be quite a few of them. Uh, currently, we support up to 12 uh, test sessions, uh, whereas the TLS scanner, there only ever needs to be one, and the same as the server scanner. And uh, so if we have an application uh, that we're trying to get configured and we want to start get it, you know, you know, tests being run on it and whatnot, and we're pretty, you know, you know we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> um, 
what how, how do we do we have to configure tests do we have to like set that up like what what's sort of like the story of you know um starting to scan and starting to get a purple team to start uh, running through our environments yeah so the first thing you do is um if you're using the local um, environment, then you've got to set up the back end um, and the CLI, which is uh, quite a lot of effort. If you're using the cloud, then all the uh, back end set up for you. All you need to do is get the CLI on your system. Um, you can uh, NPM, NPM install it or uh, fork it or clone it or whatever you want. And then you've just got to basically set up a job file. Uh, your job file um, is uh, basically says what you're going to attack. Uh, and in some cases, a little bit of how you want to attack it and some things that you don't want to be attacked, uh, so some exclusions and that sort of thing. There's no tests in there. You don't need to worry about uh, writing tests. So these are like URLs that would be in that job file or something like that, or endpoints? Yeah. Yeah, so there's one base URL, and that's what you're attacking per job file. So one job file is responsible for attacking a base URL, which is yeah, just a domain generally or an IP address. Um, so in that job file, you've either got a, a browser app job file or you've got an API job file. It's two different job file types. So you're either a chap, you're either attacking a browser um, application um, or you're attacking an API. So if you're attacking a browser application, then um, you probably want to set up to start with just one test session, keep it simple. And and basically, yeah, there's not actually much more <laughs> to it. You don't actually even need to add any routes or anything to start with because you've got the base URL in there. It will start at the top level of your uh, website and attack everything it can find underneath it. Um, you can start to fine-tune it and you can, yeah. Yeah, so from then on, from there on, everything just gets a little bit harder and stuff right so you can add additional test sessions up to 12 test sessions each test session can can target specific areas of your application it can also log in as a specific user to uh, two specific areas and and also um, attack specific uh, routes with specific um, pieces of data and that so you can get as specific or non-specific as you like so when you're first getting started, it's super simple. You just all you need uh, need to have is one test session, uh, and you don't need to define any routes in there. And at your top level, you just specify the base uh, URL, the port, the protocol, HTTP, HTTPS, uh, and you're away. Um, in in regards to authentication. Uh, so you'll get to a certain point where you want to get actually past the login. A lot of um, web applications and APIs are, are behind authenticated um, logins and that sort of thing. So uh, there's quite a few different ways that uh, you can log in. Like you can have forms-based authentication. You can have script-based authentication. You can have all sorts of uh, different ways uh, that you can authenticate to a web application or API. For those, you just uh, generally specify a specific strategy. Um, all of this is in the documentation on the website. Uh, if a specific strategy doesn't quite uh, suit your needs, then uh, then talk to us or submit a pull request or something along those lines, and we'll just generally uh, 
either create another one or um, or help you work out how to do it. <laughs> Often um, the easiest way with authentication is to actually get a Zap on your desktop and authenticate uh, using Zap via the Zap uh, GUI and then work out um, how to replay those steps um, in Purple Team itself. And like we've got a Slack uh Actually, there's two slacks. There's the OWASP slack, which is open to the world and has um, and has a, a project Purple Team channel in there. That's basically for everyone that's using Purple Team local, and for those that are using Purple Team cloud, we have a um, we have our own slack uh, for people to be in and asking questions and that sort of thing. I see. So, um, if we were to set this up in a sort of job, we would. And we were saying we were using that cloud, but I, guess, I would imagine, I guess local, there really isn't too much difference. It's just you would have to set up all of the back end first, and then you would sort of use the CLI the same way that you would be using the cloud back end. Okay, so then if we wanted to like run this periodically, or if we run it to run every check, every time we like made a new deployment or something like that, what, is, there, is there a reference? We would just have the that uh pipeline run that CLI. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So so if you um having if you want to run Purple Team uh in your continuous integration pipeline, you want those tests to be fairly fast. So you're gonna to want to uh, uh probably tune uh your test there a little bit. Uh, like you can uh, tune the application uh tester or uh, um, so that it's not too aggressive. Um, you can do all sorts of things to make it run a little bit faster and potentially miss some things uh, that you will um, hopefully get um, in a nightly build, for example, that, um, well, well, you've got all night to run, basically. Yeah, like some APIs and that sort of thing, if you are quite thorough, can take like an hour to test. So, yeah. Um, what... What's the report like? What's the and uh, like? What's the format or how how do how do you consume that report um, once it comes back from the CLI? Yeah, so there's a report. Uh, there's a set of reports for each tester. Uh, currently, we've just got the applications uh, scanner and the server scanner. So the server, uh, uh, sorry, the TLS scanner. TLS scanner is um, pretty simple. There's only one of them. You get an HTML report, you get a JSON, um, and you get a log, uh, basically a plain text report with coloring added. Uh, your HTML and and your plain log um, file are with all the color added. Uh, just uh, Basically, the color tells you whether or not something's a, um, an issue or not, so you can um, basically scroll through it really quickly and see if there's an issue there or not. Uh, with the application scanner... I'm in the process of integrating the new uh, uh, application, uh, uh, sorry, the new uh, Zap reports in uh, Zap 2.11, which is quite a few of them, um, and they're uh, they're quite cool. So there's at the moment we've got uh, nine Zap reports for every test session you might want to run. Um, you can also filter those so that you can say, oh, actually, I only want one. Report. I only want this uh, specific type of report. Uh, yeah. So there's uh, there's quite a few different types of HTML reports. There's an XML report. Uh, there's a Markdown report. 
um, there's a JSON report, and you can um, define in your in each test session uh, which type of uh, reports you want back. If you don't define it, then you get all of them back. If you specify I only want this this type and this type, then you get those two types back for that particular test session. So yeah, so in those reports, uh, depending on which report you're getting back, there's um, uh, there's there's different stuff in there. Like generally, there are uh, like there's a high level one which pretty much fits on a one page, which is good for your um, execs and that sort of to read. It's got a pretty graph and a, um, a pie chart and a few other things. There's another one that's got some bar charts um, and. And it's a little bit longer. That's got the alerts. Uh, what caused those alerts? How to reproduce them? Um, how to not fall into those same traps again, and that sort of thing. And yeah, yeah. Depending on which report you want, which report you specify, uh, it depends what sort of information you're going to get back. Is there is there any way for, uh, or does it push any of these reports or? Um, results into like any sort of like database or that you could like query later? Uh, at the moment, we've kept it pretty simple. Uh, we want to basically see what um, what end users are, are expecting on top of what we've actually already done. We didn't want to go and build stuff that <laughs> wasn't going to be used. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's pretty simple at the moment, pretty grassroots stuff. Uh, so we've got Basically, your CLI, you can put your CLI wherever you want and and tell the CLI to deposit your uh, deposit the um, archive, outcomes archive, uh, wherever you want. Uh, after that, it's pretty much up to you. We don't uh, maintain anything in the back end. Uh, there is no database. It's basically just um, everything's pushed back to the user, end user. Um, yeah, uh, we've got... Uh, some users that are doing all sorts of um, pa- uh, stuff with our parsing, the likes of the uh, adjacent file and that sort of thing. And yeah, uh, the CLI uh, log file itself, which um, which has got quite a bit of useful information in there as well, um, they're using to trigger different things and that sort of thing. And um, and it's worth noting that that a lot of the uh, core functionality for Purple Team is open source, right? So if if Ash wanted to put together some kind of uh, aggregator into a database or something like that, I'm sure you would be welcome uh, or you would be open to uh, accepting a, a, an issue, maybe even a pull request. Yeah, most definitely. It's 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 all open source, um, other than the infrastructure as code project. And we're thinking about potentially open sourcing that as well, um, but it's got a uh, but it's got a, a restrictive license on it. Yeah, but it, um, the infrastructure as code project doesn't really tell you a lot other than how uh, the infrastructure is built in the cloud. Yeah, so I mean the running of our uh, purple team is the same whether it's running locally or whether it's running in the cloud. Some of the components are slightly different. Uh, for example. Um, are the lambdas, the lambda functions that start the stage two containers locally, we use SAM CLI um, to start those lambdas. In the cloud, we're just using lambda. Um, locally, to, um, to host the stage two containers, we're using Docker Compose UI. In the cloud, it's ECS, things like that. 
Yeah, I wonder how if you're able to speak to. Do you see much uh, in the in the industry of companies going to something like Purple Team or or investing in more automated testing and penetration testing and red red team, blue team, purple team, um, in anything to just verify and validate their systems. Yeah, it's 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 where everyone's going. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I went down the road to build the tool. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much what I validated like uh, four years ago, and and now that it's actually available um, for people to use, that's um, yeah, that's what I'm seeing. So the whole idea is that it's um, allowing uh, development teams to find and fix their defects um, as they're introducing them. Uh, rather than waiting till a red team engagement, hence the red part of the purple team, um, are potentially months later, uh, which is super expensive to find and fix your defects then. I mean, we all know how expensive a red team is to get on board. I mean, they're like, you know, like it's uh, $20,000 essentially for a week's work. So you can times that by two for a small to medium web application. Um, a purple team doesn't come anywhere near that. Purple team's pocket money, basically, even if you're paying for the cloud. Uh, and the other thing is, as a developer, if you're looking to um, fix your defects sort of several months later, you've got to um, build up that context in your head. You've got to remember what you actually did. Um, and often, if you attempt to fix something, it'll break something else. Uh, if you're doing the uh, finding and fixing as you're introducing the defects, that's that's not an issue, and it's it's a hell of a lot quicker to find and fix your defects as you introduce them at, uh, than it is months later. <laughs> that's a lot of the time. Um, that's a lot of the reason why when um, when an organisation gets a red team engagement uh, done, uh, they only uh, fix their uh, most uh, severe defects because they're so expensive. And all the rest often get left, and there isn't enough time to fix them as well. Whereas the likes of Purple Team, it's 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 helping the developers to uh, fix their defects as they're introducing them. So, yeah, and yeah, um, another thing is is that once the red team comes in, uh, they can actually focus on the more juicy bugs, the more gnarly bugs, because I know for a fact that red teamers hate to find other types. Of simple defects that uh, developers are introducing on pretty much on a daily basis, like the OWASP top tens and that sort of thing. These simple bugs that um, us as developers uh, should be fixing as we're creating the code just just shouldn't be there. And yeah, that's what Purple Team helps with. All right, is there anything else uh, about Purple Team that that our our listeners should maybe know about that we have neglected to ask? Not really. Um, I'm I'm running workshops and that sort of thing off and on as well. So, so if people get stuck um, and they basically the first place is to I uh, just come into the uh, into the um, project purple team channel in the OWASP channel. I uh, sorry in the OWASP Slack and um, just just start talking in there if you're having issues or um, the others GitHub discussions on um, the purple team labs. A set of repositories you can open up a discussion or submit an issue if you find an issue um, in the Purple Team project itself. Uh, 
yeah, there's generally always a way that you can get some help from myself or others that have been there before. Awesome. So you just mentioned a bunch of great resources. Are there any other resources like documentation or videos or training or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the documentation is all at uh, purpleteam-labs.com uh, slash doc. Um, there's also a title. Uh, there's a title bar on the website where you can find um, uh, the blog, the videos, podcasts, um, yeah, uh, change log, all sorts of stuff. So you can see what we're doing and how often we're actually making changes and that sort of thing. Uh, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those maybe looking to level up their own careers? I think it it really depends uh, what your motivation is and that sort of thing. Uh, for me, I, I, I eat, live and breathe um, uh, technology and programming. So uh, for me, it's, it's sort of taken a first place and there's been lots of other sacrifices in order uh, to get where I've gotten to I guess and and where we've got purple team to so far I, I think just be um just be prepared that there you know if you want to go a long way um, in your career you've got to put the work and effort in and there's there really are no shortcuts uh, there's going to be sacrifices that need to be made along the way well and I, I'd like to to throw out something that you mentioned several several times earlier on when you were when you were discussing uh, you know what what brought you to uh, where you are in your in your career, um, where you basically said that you thought of the most difficult thing that you could think of, and then you did that. Um, having having the gumption or whatever other word you want to throw in there to to just take on a challenge that you weren't even sure that you could accomplish, and doing it anyway. Um, you know that's that's a great one. Like challenging challenging yourself in your career. Um, I think is is also a really good way to to move forward in your career. Yeah, I think as a programmer, there's um, there's lots of lows and lots of highs, and yeah, like uh, you could be bashing your head against a a bug or something that's really tormenting you for several days, and then you break through, and then you get amazing high from it. <laughs> that's 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 software development, right? <laughs> So where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Uh, so me personally, um, I'm I'm a Twitter. Um, I'm just binary mist, B-I-N-A-R-Y-M-I-S-T. Um, there's Purple Team Labs um, on Twitter as well. That's just Purple Team Labs. And the main uh, Purple Team Labs uh, website, which is just uh, purpleteam-labs.com. And then there's the uh, main binary mist website which is binarymist.io. All right, Kim, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show, and we will let you get back to enjoying our tomorrow. Cheers. Thanks, guys. That was Kim Carter. Kim has 20-plus years of experience providing software engineering teams with the confidence needed to produce software with the right level of security. He loves designing and creating robust software networks breaking software and networks, and then fixing them and helping organizations increase productivity. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. 
and catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.